Anyways. Hey! <laughs> oh man, too much fun. Too much fun. Hey, welcome to y'all here. Oh, I mean, I just got back from a mission trip in Missouri, which was basically like Narnia. Ooh, man. But um, it's good to be back here with all of you. And the biggest reason is because, like, I love you guys. I want to go out for all of you. I'm even wearing my whale socks today, all because of the fact that I wanted to get into your head that the fish is a big part of this story. Um, I want to give a special welcome to those of you who are watching online, and I'm going to have the ushers come forward with Bibles, so if you want to follow along with the scripture that we're going to be looking at today, feel free to do that. Hey, we're in the middle of a series called When God Speaks, and what we've learned is that when God speaks, we, should, we better pay attention. And most of these prophets that we've been learning about, prophets like Joel, Amos, Obadiah, those prophets, have been gotten a message from the Lord and then spoken it directly out to the people. But with Jonah, the prophet that we're going to be looking at today, he's one of the few prophets that's more of a narrative. And this narrative kind of has an ebb and a flow to it, which then leads us to an important point. Because with all of these minor prophet books, while they might be minor in size, they're major in the implications for our lives. But not only that, they're major in our understanding of the nature of the Lord God that we worship. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and dive on into Jonah. It is quirky. It is satirical. It likes potlucks. It doesn't sit in the front row. Oh, wait, I'm talking about a Lutheran. Never mind. Um, but anyways, it is quirky, it is satirical, but right away in chapter one, we get to the point that I like to call the which way do we go? Because in chapter one, verse two, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, son of Amittai, and says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So here we are. Jonah is faced with a big decision. God's telling him to go somewhere so he can either obey God or he can go his own way. He can do the uncomfortable thing of going to Nineveh, and the reason why it's uncomfortable is because of the fact that Nineveh, I would like to equate it with like Las Vegas of today. So we'll call Nineveh biblical Vegas, if you will. And here's the reason why. It was a city full of sin. It was full of lying, full of cheating, full of deceit, full of all sorts of sin. And yet it was a major city in the Assyrian Empire a major enemy of Israel. And while this city is shining out a bunch of brilliant, brilliant lights, it's only to hide the deep, deep darkness that the city actually holds. So this is the kind of city that Jonah is called to go to. But Jonah could also go the opposite direction. He could go to where it's comfortable, such as a place like Tarshish. Now, see, Tarshish was this paradise island with palm trees. People were trading gold and purple cloth like it was no big deal. Those two things were kind of signs of royalty. They even imported peacocks. So, like, who doesn't like a good pet peacock? It's in the Bible, 1 Kings, look it up. And so you, you get the idea that it's a very fancy place. And so why wouldn't Jonah want to go there? And I think for a lot of us, we find ourselves in the same exact situation, we find ourselves thinking to ourselves, are we going to go God's way or am I going to go my way? 
Let me tell you, my very first day of seminary, I walk into my class all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, ready to learn about the exciting topic of biblical hermeneutics. Yeah, real exciting stuff. And so I get to the class, I pull out my notebook, I'm getting ready to begin. The professor walks in, and he does his usual, you know, college graduate level class, where he hands out the syllabus and is going through the syllabus, giving the expectations, um, going through policies, going through the grading system. And I particularly remember one point in this syllabus that highlighted a project, a semester-long project that I had to do. And I remember my professor saying, now, you're going to do this project that involves looking at some background information, um, creating engaging questions for a small group to go through, having a devotion for individual time with God. And you have the entire semester to do this whole project. So my recommendation for you is to break it up into small chunks and just go ahead and do that, and you will be totally fine. So that was my professor's way of saying, break up the project, then you won't have to worry. There's just one problem. See, my mind, I work best by procrastinating. Any procrastinators out there? So this is kind of the timeline of how things went. So we got the, we got the project, and I'm like, all right, I'm not going to do anything. Obviously, it's the first week. Why would I do anything? And then we get halfway through the semester, still haven't done anything. We get three-fourths of the way through the semester. I'm like, well, maybe I should work on it. Who am I kidding? I don't want to work on that right now. You only live once. And then, finally, we get to the very last day, the day before the project is due and I haven't started. So here I am. It's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. My class is at 9 a.m. the next day. So at 4 o'clock, here I go. 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, I take a break for Kane's Chicken because, well, priorities. 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. It's past my bedtime, yet I still got to chug on because I'm not done with the project. 1 a.m., 2 a.m., everybody says, nothing good ever happens after 2 a.m., but you know what? I'm going to go for it anyways. 3 a.m., 4 a.m., finally, 5 a.m., my project is finished. And there's a sense of relief. However, I had to wake up in three hours to go to class. So um, usually when you don't get enough sleep, you suffer from something known as sleep de deprivation. And for me, what that looks like is I get giggly. Literally, I hear like the word the, and I'm like, <laughs> the. <laughs> or, <laughs> I don't know why that word popped up. <laughs> yeah, I get giggly. I, I can't think straight. Right, I get irritated easier. And so I walk into class the next day, which, by the way, my project was on the book of Jonah. Should have taken a hint. But anyways, <laughs> I enter class. I couldn't pay attention at all. And so here I am suffering from sleep de deprivation, all because instead of going the professor's way, I went my way. And there's a lot of us here today that are kind of in the same boat. No pun intended there. But we're all... <laughs> Man, oh man, I'm not going to get through this sermon. Anyways, <laughs> so all of us are here today because we've all faced the same decision. And unfortunately, a lot of times we tend to go our own way because at our core, we're selfish. We tend to think about ourselves over others. And so what the logical thing that Jonah does is instead of going to Nineveh, he goes in the complete opposite direction to Tarshish. And as a result, 
You know, when we go opposite of what God wants, God's not afraid to punish. And I'm not saying that to, in a judgmental sort of condoning sort of way. No, that's just the nature of who God is. If God wants to punish, he will punish. And so Jonah goes the opposite way. He gets on a boat. He's headed toward Tarshish. Next thing you know, God hurls a storm right at Jonah's boat. And it sends it into absolute chaos. And so then the sailors are wondering, what are we going to do? Oh, I know, we should cast lots, which is basically a form of divination to determine whose fault it was for something. And it was like throwing dice. So when they threw the dice, the lots landed on Jonah. And sure enough, Jonah confessed. And he said, hurl me into the sea. And so the sailors took him, hurled him into the sea, and the storm was seized. Now, if you think about it, Jonah's in the middle of the sea. No life jacket, nowhere to swim to that's super-duper close. And this can serve as a metaphor for some of the sins that we go through, some of the things that are holding us down, some of the things that are keeping us bound up to the point where we can't function, to the point where the situation just feels hopeless, to the point where I need someone or something to save me that will be good enough to not only get rid of it, but get me on the way to a new path. And here's the good news that I want you to hear today. We worship a God who loves to show mercy. He is a merciful God first, but then if he has to, he'll punish. A lot of times we think, oh, God's a punisher. God's merciful first. Then he punishes if he has to. But remember, with that mercy, it doesn't know any limits. Because no matter how far east you are from the west, God's mercy is for you. You can be saved. And sure enough, Jonah, he had done about the worst possible thing. God spoke directly to him, and yet he still went the opposite direction. And still God was merciful because of Jonah's repentant heart. And so what does he do? He sends a fish, a big giant fish, to swallow him up, to save him from drowning. And that's when we get into chapter 2. And a lot of people, they look at the fish and be like, well, wasn't the fish the punishment? No, the fish was the, the saving grace for Jonah. Because he would have drowned otherwise. He wouldn't have had a second chance at life, but God came in and gave him a second chance. And he's going to give you a second chance as well. And we get, begin to understand the emotional side of things. Chapter 2 is kind of a look inside Jonah's mind. So we hear him, and he says, In my distress I called out to the Lord. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. Any of you feel that? Any of you ever experienced that? I know I have. I know that there have been times where it's felt hopeless, where I feel like I'm going to be trapped inside the belly of a fish for, for days. But the good news is that there's a part two to all of those statements. When Jonah says, I'm in, in my distress, I called to the Lord, it says he answered me. It shows that God cares for us. He cares about our well-being. From, the, from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head, but you 
Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Here we get a glimpse of what it means to repent. Because God issues his mercy to us, he gives it to us, and we're not just called to keep it for ourselves and, and not do anything about it. No, we're called to repent. And when we repent, we turn around. We don't stay in the same bondage. That would be pointless. No, instead, God issues his mercy, he issues his love, we receive it, and because of that, it should inspire us to go on a new path. And it's also important to remember that even if you feel like you've been punished, that doesn't mean God's purposes for your life stop. It doesn't mean that at all. Because remember, God is a merciful God and he doesn't know any limits because no matter how deep you fall into the middle of the sea, God's mercy is for you. And it's for me and it's for Jonah. And sure enough, because of Jonah's repentant heart, God listened and he responded and so how did he respond? Chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. God heard Jonah's prayer, and, and God was like, Flah! Out comes Jonah. And we begin to start all over again. I like to call chapter 3 the rewind. And here's why. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So here we go. Jonah's repented. Now what does he do? He's on his new path. He's not afraid of doing God's will, so he goes to Nineveh. And his job was to preach the word of the Lord. And so here we are. He goes to Nineveh, and we get to hear the shortest yet most powerful sermon in the history of sermons. You ready for this? You're going to be blown away. It says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Mic drop. We will now continue with the hymn of the day. A lot of you out there are like, man, will this guy stop talking and making awful dad jokes? My goodness. But yet, this sermon, this short sermon, was enough to inspire a nation to repentance. Let me give you kind of a modern-day illustration for this. It would be like if Anna Schoberg, our welcome coordinator, who recently just had a cute little baby named Remy, all of a sudden stood up with Remy, walked up in front of me, interrupted my sermon, held up the baby like Lion King style, pulled the baby down, and then just walked away. <laughs> and then after seeing this, all of you were like, man, I am a terrible sinner. That baby's future is in jeopardy because of my sins. Therefore, I'm going to turn from my ways and I'm going to go on a new path so that way little Remy can have a future. Something simple, yet so profound. It's incredible how God speaks sometimes. And so for this situation, in this book, God spoke in a short little message. And now Nineveh responds in repentance. And they don't just, you know, say it, but they actually carry out various things such as putting on burlap. Burlap in the olden days when you put it on showed that you were remorseful, that you regret your decisions and that you wanted to be forgiven. And they didn't just put the burlap on themselves. 
No, they went and they put the burlap on their animals, on their cattle. I'm imagining some dude grabbing burlap and he sees a chicken on the ground. He's chasing after the chicken saying, repent of your sins, chicken. And the chicken's like, ah, I don't want to be a Chick-fil-A sandwich. No. That's how serious of a matter it was. And for us, this is an example for us. We should be as repentant as the Ninevites were. And the Ninevites were terrible, terrible people. And it's our, sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking that when we read Scripture, that we're the good guys. We tend to think that when we read Scripture, we're on the side of Jonah, we're, we're about God. But in all honesty, we relate more to the Ninevites. Because it doesn't matter how bad you are, we're all on the same playing field. We've all committed sins, we're, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's a given. Some maybe in the eyes of society have fallen lower than others. And for Nineveh, they were the ones that were a little bit lower. But people, again, God shows up. And in chapter 3, verse 10, he says, When God saw what they did, the Ninevites, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Now, some people read that verse and they say, well, God changed his mind. God said he was going to punish them. So, does that mean God's word doesn't always come through? No, that's, you missed the point if you're thinking that way. See, remember, God's a merciful God first. You know, punish if he has to. It's like if you're a parent out there, you know, you know you're not out to punish your kids. You only punish your kids if you absolutely have to. And that's how God is with each and every single one of us. That's how he was with the Ninevites. He was saying, all right, you better re repent of your sins or else I'm going to destroy you. And so what do they do? They go from destruction to rebuilding, all because of repentance. People, we need to remember that God's mercy is our saving grace. That is what it is. We are all on the same playing field, but then when God steps in, puts us on a whole new level, a whole new one, one full of freedom, one full of joy, one full of so much mercy and so much forgiveness that we can't help but send it out towards other people. That's what we're called to do, but yet Jonah misses the point. So again, like I said, ebbs and flows. Jonah's up here, then he goes down here. Then he preaches a good word, then he's back down here. And here's why. Chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. But, Jonah, but to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. But get verse 3. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. See, sometimes we fall into the trap of Jonah now, where when we see others that are forgiven that we don't think deserve forgiveness, like think of your mortal enemy. Hmm, maybe it's that coworker that always seems to get everything right, or maybe it's that friend that you have that just seems to, you know, look better than you, be more successful than you, those kind of things. And we hold judgment and we react like Jonah 
and we see that person and we're like, they don't deserve mercy. Once again, on the same playing field. So if we, are, if we have our hearts like Jonah, we're going to continue being in bondage. Some of you are here today, maybe in those situations. Some of you might have family members even, where you might be holding a grudge against them and it is just impossible to forgive them. But no matter what, people, God's mercy shows up in all sorts of different and powerful ways. Even when a situation seems bleak, even when a situation is so shrouded in darkness, it's like you're in a deep, dark, black hole, God still can bring some light out of a situation because that's just what he does. That's just his nature. And here, right at the end of the ebb and flow, like I said before, we learn about profound, the profound nature of God in chapter 4, verse 11. And it's through the way of a question. God's asking Jonah, And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? In other translations, it says, Shouldn't I care about my creation? I'm not out to destroy. I'm here to rebuild. I'm not here to bring death. I'm here to bring life. That's what God wants for you. God wants to save you. God doesn't want you to stay in bondage. God doesn't want you to continue living in sin over and over and over again and asking yourselves the same questions. No, God wants you to be free. He wants you to live. And he doesn't just want you to live. He wants you to live in a way that's going to impact others that will never make them the same. So what are we supposed to do about this story? Great, Pastor Kevin. Wonderful story about a big fish. But how am I supposed to know God's mercy is real? Because I don't know if you've seen the news out there or culture in general. But there's a lot of deep, deep darkness. There is more anxiety and depression in our high schools in life than there ever has been. It's becoming more and more prevalent. And there's people trying to turn to all sorts of different aspects of life. They're trying to turn to money. They're trying to turn to the opposite gender. They're trying to turn to a very, very kind and kind of a mentor person. They try and turn to all these different things, but yet still they come back to point A, I'm stuck. You look at the world and you say, well, there's a tornado that crashed through Iowa, tore down a big, huge business in the town where I went to college. Where's God in that? Where's his mercy then? If God was merciful, he would have saved them. Remember, we can't predict God. God chooses when he wants to show mercy, and he shows mercy when we confess, when we humble ourselves, when we come before him and know and understand that with a repentant heart, that should take us from being in a place of stuckedness, if that's even a word, to being unstuck and free to go wherever and spread the love of God. Because let's, let's be real people, and I'm going to end with this. What's the name of our church? Say it with pride and with passion. What's the name of our church? Now I heard some of you say First Lutheran, but that's okay, we forgive you. It's at our roots. We can't forget about our roots. 
But we're a community of grace. And a lot of times we focus on the community aspect, but then sometimes we forget why we're in community. We sometimes forget that we're in community because, like Dan says all the time, we don't come together because we're, we've got it all together. We come because this is a place that's a hospital for the sick. We're sick people. We have a problem, but yet we have a God who's bigger than our problems. He's there for us. He cares about us. His nature is a caring and loving Father. So it's your job to take it in and accept it. And in a little bit, we're going to enter into a time of forgiveness. And what I want you to think about are a couple of things. Number one, I want you to think about, a time, think about maybe I need to be forgiven of something. I don't know what it is, but I just feel the need to be forgiven. Or maybe you've already been forgiven of something. And you just want to show gratitude to God because of the fact that he was merciful, because of the fact that he was mighty. And so we need to respond in thankfulness to him. Or maybe you've, shown, you've gotten so much mercy from somebody that you can't just keep it for yourself. No, you need to share it with other people. And so you might need to ask yourself the question, who am I going to share this with? Who needs the love and the mercy of God? And you can share that in multiple ways. You can find somebody this week and just tell them. You can share it on social media, like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, those kind of things. Or even if you want to come talk to me after the service and share your story of forgiveness, and I would love to hear that because I love hearing about stories about how God moves. But the important point is this. We can't just accept this message and not do anything about it. No, we are a community of grace. Therefore, we are called to open our arms wide to this White Bear Lake community who a lot of them don't even know the love and the mercy of God. They just think that life's hopeless and that there's going to be a definitive end. But with God, there is no end. He is eternal. He is the Lord of Lord, the King of Kings. And he is here to tell you today that you, nobody is gone far enough that his mercy can't reach him. Think about that today. You have been called to something greater, and your purposes don't just stop because you've been punished. No, God's got something for each and every single one of you. So church, it's time to repent. It's time to turn from our ways and walk in the light of God. Let's pray. God, we, we admit that we don't always go your ways. We like to do what we think is best. We like to fall into the same patterns over and over and over again because they're comfortable for us. So Lord, we come before you, humbly come before you with repentant hearts. Lord, help us to embrace the fact that it is repentance that gives us your salvation, that you respond to us. You show up. You're not distant. You're not this mythical figure, God, but you are real. You are present. You are here today. And so, God, I just pray that as we enter into this time of reflection and as we finish out this worship service to you, 
that we would remember your mercy. That your mercy changes everything. That your love changes everything. That you sent your son so that way we didn't have to live in the same bondage over and over and over again. God, we need you. Empower us. Help us to tell your story and help us to be catalysts in our community. Lord, most importantly, we give you all praise and honor and thanks because you are the God who loves us and we can never thank you enough for that. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.